like if you put me back 150 years, I'd be useless. Right. Like there's nothing I could <laughs> offer anybody. Oh, they'd be like, okay, so like, yeah. what do you got? I'd yeah. be like, well, yeah. there's space. Can you well, how can you get there? Yeah. <laughs> the deeper someone's faith is, the more gritty and raw their doubts will be. What does it look like to be a, the, the city of God within the city of man, not escaping the city of man? Yes. How can we be salt and light here and now? Yeah. All right, guys, welcome to episode three of Off the Record. I don't know at what point I'm going to stop counting because we'll lose track of these episodes, but this is episode three of Off the Record. Really good to have you. Uh, I am Mark Clark, and this is our boy today, Dominic Doan, everyone. Hey. Can you say hello to the to the millions right. listening hey, and watching? Yes. Uh, Dominic is uh, a guy that I have uh, got to know over the last couple months. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your past, your history? You've lived in... Uh, a lot of places yes. and have been in a lot of scenarios. So that'll take about 20 minutes, but we won't, we won't go through all that. We're, we're going to talk today about deconstruction. Uh, that's, that's a big topic, a big theme that a lot of people are talking about in Christianity. Why do people look at Christianity and say, okay, look, I either grew up in the church and I'm out or I, I never even got into it because, it, you know, a list of reasons that we'll talk about. Dominic is someone uh, where this particular issue is super close to his heart. He's written about it. He's written multiple books. He has a podcast um, and has uh, ch church plants where he's spoken into. I mean, he just loves this topic. So I figured he'd be a great guy to talk to about this topic. But give us a little context to, to who you are for a couple yeah, of minutes. Yeah, totally. Dominic. Okay, quick story. Born in England, in Oxford, raised in Southern California, moved up to Oregon, was a mission in Mexico for a year, Vanuatu for three years. Where's Vanuatu? Uh, in the middle of nowhere. If you go like to Fiji, and oh, it's maybe an okay. hour or two from there. Okay. But it's a, it's a cluster of like 100 plus islands, really primitive. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to stop you because mm. we're not even two seconds in here, but yeah. how did that end up happening? <laughs> there are a whole story of that. But um, long story short, I was part of a, a church and out of the blue, they just, they wanted to start a mission base there. And I was w working at this coffee shop they had and they're like, hey, do you want to go to Vanuatu for a few years? We need to know right now we're on our way to a meeting. So I had to decide right. And were you married then. at this point? I was not. Okay. So you're, you're no. how old? Yeah, you're I was 21. Okay. Yeah. Lived in the jungle. Ready to travel the world. This new have language. A, what, what do they call that? A leap year? What is that? A gap year? A gap year. Yeah. Just when you don't, know what being, you're, you don't know what you're going to do. Ended up being gap three years. <sighs> and, and then what? give us one or two other significant events then. Uh, before oh we gosh. Get to Pastored in Maui for eight years. Uh, I guess we have a thing for islands. Right. Um, <clears throat> lived in England several times in our married life. Pastored a church up in Portland. And uh, why were you living in England several times? Because uh, you were university. born in Oxford, born okay, in Oxford, so, and then ended up going back there for university. So you went yeah. to Oxford for mm -hmm. your. I know you're out of Oxford, so you're studying your PhD right now mm -hmm. at Oxford. But yep. you did a master's degree at Oxford I did. too. Yep. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And what was that in? Uh, it was on science of faith. Science and faith. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. And then now you're doing a PhD in theodicy. Theodicy. Um, so explain that for the listening yeah, audience. Yeah, so theodicy uh, comes from these two words, which means God and justice. Um, so it's essentially looking at how do we justify the existence of God in light of suffering and the problem of evil. Yeah. And looking at specifically through uh, natural suffering, because theodicists will often differentiate between. I like how there's people that are yeah, just, they're, they're, just they're just defined by, I yeah. think about this question all day. Right. And I trouble. mean, it has been called the rock of atheism. It's the biggest yeah. stumbling block for people's faith is, you know, 
evil and suffering and the existence of a loving God or, you know, um, a benevolent mm-hmm. creator or whatever. How could those two things coexist, you know? So it's, so I mean, it's the theodicists yeah. that sit around and think about these things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm speaking of having no contributable <laughs> skills. What is this useful for? Yeah. Go kill the elk. Go kill the elk. I'm hungry. But why is and he suffering? Like, yes, but why? <laughs> what is an why elk, must he suffer really? so? What is the essence of elkness? Yeah, I it's not um, So okay, so yeah. so anyway, sorry, what were we yeah, talking so, about? I don't know. Oxford for a couple yes, years, yes. and then yeah, currently. So you're writing a PhD on that in particular, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. That's yeah. awesome. And you just came on staff at uh, Bayside as our campus pastor out in Santa Rosa, which mm-hmm. is a cool city. Uh, so super excited to have yeah. you on staff and contributing here to this podcast. You'll be a guest multiple times. You have your own podcast, which is called Pursuing Faith. Pursuing mm-hmm. Faith. Uh, so you can listen to that. And we're going to jump that over to our Thrive Media Network and you can become part of that. Um, I'm not asking. I'm telling. Yeah. Uh, that's going to happen. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> great. And then you have a couple books, uh, When Faith Fails. <laughs> yeah. And the, 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 the subtitle of that book. Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt. Love that. Yeah. And then Your Longing Has a Name is also Mm -hmm. the other book. So you can look those up on Amazon. Um, So When Faith Fails. Yeah. uh, So let's talk about deconstructing, uh, deconstruction and and people who are deconstructing. Um, So is that what When Faith Fails? Mm -hmm. Give us the the thesis, the premise of that, where did it come from? Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of twofold. One was on a personal note, because there was a season in my life of deconstruction. And I share that story, um, but it was also pastoral because when I wrote it, I was a pastor in the Northwest, and you, you know what it's like um, in that part of the country, which I think is now spreading throughout the rest of the country. In a city like Portland, post-Christian, they're asking a ton of questions about, about faith yeah. and doubt. And we saw it you know, a decade ago, some of the growth of deconstruction, which I argue over the last couple of years has become a full-fledged movement. I mean, you go on TikTok or whatever, hashtag deconstruct, and it's everywhere. Um, but or we, Church 2, church hashtag two, Church or, 2. Yeah, New York, New York Times, you know, their article a year ago, um, talking about the ex-evangelicals, yes, as they right, coined it. Right. Um, Washington Post, a couple of months ago, said we're... We're witnessing a, quote, secular surge. Mm. Um, so th- there's a pastoral element to this is like, how do I pastor people through seasons of doubt? How can I, you know, share my own story of, of what that looked like? What is yeah, deconstruction? What did that look like? So you were talking oh, about your personal. Yeah. yeah. So this, this would have been years ago in, in Oxford. And as part of the master's program, I spent about a year studying through the works of, of atheists. Um, so whether it's Camus or Nietzsche or some of the more recent guys like And this is for the thesis that you were writing? Yeah, there was, there was a whole section of, of what sure. I was doing focused on the You had to present the, their, the atheistic yep. argument mm-hmm. for evil and why it for, disproves for God evil, or something. For evil, I mean, right. you name it. Now, science. Oh, uh, science, right. Because you were doing work on yeah, Right. Old Testament violence sure. stuff. Okay. So you're reading all them. Reading all them. And, and I share this in the book, but there was some pent up doubts and questions sure. that I had had that I hadn't really mm. dealt with. Mm. And that's actually one of the things I argue in the book that doubt's greatest strength is secrecy. Um, because often, oftentimes in church settings, um, or the evangelical subculture for that matter, we, we have two responses when it comes to doubt. One is to demonize doubt. And the other is to idolize doubt. And when we demonize doubt, we're essentially creating a culture where doubts aren't welcome. If someone is struggling or deconstructing or whatever, they don't feel like it's a safe place to really process them or talk about them. Or, you know, there's some theological things we get into as well. 
where doubt is perceived as a sin or doubt is seen as the enemy of faith or the opposite of faith, which I would actually argue it's unbelief, not doubt. Doubt's somewhere in between. So one response is demonizing doubt. The other, and, and we're seeing this more, especially the last couple of years, is idolizing doubt. Yeah. And, and this is where deconstruction is seen as, oh, this is a purely a good thing. Now, I actually do think we should probably get into this at some point, yeah, yeah. but I do think there is some forms of deconstruction that can be healthy. Sure. Um, but there's some that's just like, let's tear everything, everything yeah. down, right? Yeah, right. Um, and when we idolize doubt, we're actually not giving space for our faith to grow. Um, what I see in scripture and really the premise of the book is not idolizing doubt or demonizing doubt, but rather we're wrestling with God through our doubts because what we see in scripture um, is example after example, book after book. I mean, we have lamentations, we have Psalms, we have Jesus on the cross, like so many examples of people who are saying, this is what I'm thinking, so yeah. wrestling, how long, O oh Lord, why, Yes, right. my God, why have you forsaken me? John the Baptist in yeah. prison, Paul... Abraham, Sarah, I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, the, the, the psalmist <clears throat> constantly pointing out, you know, the, the guys uh, who, are, who are unjust people, who are jerks at yeah. business, are winning, yep. and they're rich, and I'm super righteous, yeah. and um, Why losing. do the nations rage? Yeah. Yeah. Why and do it creates all kinds of, yeah, I, I, which I, is something I love about the Bible, is it's so honest. Uh, I mean, we've whitewashed it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so honest because it has all these people throughout it that are crying out and just naming things as they are and going, man, the way things are kind of sucks. Yeah. Hey, are you there, God? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. And and there's this, I mean, we can get into the theological answers or non-answers that the Bible gives and why. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that the, the, uh, the first thing I always love to point out to people who are wrestling with their doubt is precisely what you're saying is how honest the Bible is with it. Unbelievably all honest. The, yeah, all these all these people throughout the Bible had it. The Psalms have it. Ecclesiastes has it. Habakkuk, everything has it. So God's not afraid of it. And I think one of the reasons for that is the deeper someone's faith is, the more gritty and raw their doubts will be. Right. Because w- when we right. have a doubt, it's only because we first believed. Right, yes. Like, yes. If we really believe good. God is good, yeah. Psalm 73, 1. We love that verse as Christians. Mm. God is good. But verse two of the same Psalm is going to have teeth to it. As for me, my feet, my feet almost slipped. And he begins to unpack why. Mm. The reason he has these doubts is because his faith and trust mm. in God was so profound. It's why, you know, John the Baptist, there's no other prophet greater than him, Jesus said. Yeah. And yet there he is in prison languishing. And he's like, are are you the one mm. <laughs> or should we, or should we yeah, look? Should we get He's another... the guy who baptized Jesus. Right. So, uh, okay. We got uh, Washington post church membership in the U S has fallen below the majority for the first time in nearly a century. That's 2021. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And of course, you know, Americans, uh, American secularism is growing and growing more complicated. It's impact on politics. Self identity looms large experts say, um, yeah, very true. And of course in America, you know, it's it's we're a little bit behind where I'm from in Canada. They say we're probably a generation ahead of the U.S. in regard to secularization, post-Christian mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, our, our the things the things America was wrestling with a decade ago in regard to policy. Um, you know, some of these things were things that Canada was like, yeah, I, don't know. I was like, that was a long time ago. That was 10, 15 years ago. We decided that, and things that America asks their people about. 
you know, hey, state, do you want to do this with, with this issue? It's like Canada never asked anyone. We just did it. We just woke up one day and that's the way it was. So um, so it's interesting to kind of come into those contexts and see all of that. Uh, so uh, one article up here, reminder, deconstruction does not mean <laughs> deconversion. So let, let's get into deconstruction real quick. Um, so um, not that we're going to go through it quickly, but let's quickly get to it. So um, deconversion, mm-hmm. talk to me about what are the top – so deconversion is, is basically people saying – I, I believed I was converted to Christ or Christianity or the church or whatever. And now I'm, I'm coming out of it. I'm deconstructing um, my faith. I'm deconstructing uh, my kind of my praxis in life. I don't want to be part of a church anymore. I mean, there's many versions of it. Yeah. So um, take us through the top three reasons why people deconstruct or deconvert. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's a difference between those two. There things. is a yes, huge yeah, difference because, yeah, yeah the, the deconversion, you, you you put on the unbelief side. The deconstruct is, okay, I'm wrestling. Yeah. Um, and there are healthy and unhealthy reasons for that. Um, I think there's a cultural phenomenon that's going on. Um, the, the, you know, the idea of deconstruction goes back to, you know, some Enlightenment era writers and thinkers, Paul Ricoeur and others who talk about naivete, first naivete, second naivete, when you're processing a work of literature and how do you recapture the essence of that? So you, ha- you have some interesting roots there just with the concept mm. of it. It's, it's not a new concept. Um, but a healthy version of deconstruction is simply saying, okay, what have I taken on board in my faith that's mm. that's really not central to the heart of Jesus? An unhealthy form of deconstruction looks more like a cultural fad, and it's like, you know, often motivated by some, you know, anger towards the church or frustration towards, you know, ex-friends or parents or whatever. Like what specific? Um, let's get into specifics. Let's get into specifics, yeah. yeah. Um, I, okay. So there's So there's like the... Uh, the church I grew up in mm-hmm. was uh, anti-woman, mm-hmm. or the church I grew up in was too narrow-minded against uh, sexuality or something, mm-hmm. or to define sexuality too too stringently. And now I believe different things about sexuality, and so I'm walking away from yeah. this group of people who believes that. Uh, the church was abusive in some way, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um Science and faith, like hell, yeah. the existence. Like, what are the what are the ones like experientially? You yeah. went. These are the top two or three I keep hearing. I would say every single one really comes down to a form of theodicy. Um, it's is that just it, because it, you're writing a thesis on it? it? Well, I'm becoming more convinced <laughs> that that's the case. That top five reasons yeah. church dropouts say they stopped attending church. So we'll we'll come back to the professional in a second. The internet yeah. has something to say, Dominic. Uh, I moved to college and stopped attending church. Wow, that's that's actually an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Church members seem judgmental or hypocritical, 32%. I didn't feel connected to people in my church. I disagreed with the church's stance on political social issues, and my, my work responsibilities pre- prevented me from, uh, from attending. Interesting. So mm. I grew up. It's interesting. So Yeah, and I think, I think that's yeah, fascinating yeah. because— not everyone who stops going to church is necessarily, they may do that for a short time, yeah. necessarily in a bad place. Right. And what I mean by yeah, that is yeah. some, sometimes they're in an unhealthy context and they are a part of a church that has been uh, abusive, quote unquote, or you know, unhealthy. And they need some space in order to find a community that's that's flourishing. Yeah. Um, and I, th- 
Okay, so, yeah. what, what is yeah. interesting there is that fourth one, I disagree with the church's stance on political social issues. I've seen that, especially over the last few years. You probably saw it up in Canada as well in, in a certain uh, way. Um, so many young people, Gen Z in particular, are like, the church has become political. Yes. Um, and they want to know about Jesus. And to me, this is where the hope lies, actually, is... A vast majority of Gen Z is kind of burnt out on church's approach to politics. But 85%, according to a set that came out a few months ago, um, of Gen Z say they're open and actually interested in having conversations about Jesus. So there's a, a growth in interest about Jesus. Tell us about Jesus. How? What? What is the kingdom? Uh, what? What is church? Uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How does that affect my life? Um, and... At the same time, too, kind of a growing, gnawing discontent with with structures and systems. I think that's a systemic thing. Yeah. Um, so, so the just to play the other side of to mm-hmm. try to get in the mindset of the people who are uh, leading these churches, uh, preaching at these churches, you know, whatever. Yeah. And having these people have this response, they would say, uh, "Well, some political social engagement is exactly what like you're asking me to talk about Jesus." Mm-hmm. And the kingdom, mm-hmm. and I'm ta- that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, and the implication is that we got to do political and social things mm-hmm. because we're kingdom people. This is right. this is the this is the that's the, 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 the difficulty. Yeah, because then you have to pick your issues. Mm-hmm. Are they are they left progressive issues? Are they conservative issues? Mm-hmm. So is it is it that they don't like? Um, the issues or is it just the idea of being involved at all in some kind of social, because you know, there's some people it's like, well, those social issues at my church got involved in those were actually really good because they fit what I want versus the other ones, yep. which are not fit what I want. So is it, is it they're, that they're picking through which social or political, or is it just that they're at all social and political? Oh gosh. I mean, yeah, it depends who you ask on that. I mean, in Portland, we, we were an interesting place because you have the downtown Portland vibe, you know, you have things burning every night and yeah. an extreme kind of radical left right. uh, and yeah. Tifa and all that. Yes, right. So they're they're upset about one host of issues. Yes. And then you have, you have people in the suburbs who are more conservative leaning and they're upset yeah. about a whole other host sure, of issues. Exactly. And we all have our ways of yeah. trying to define, well, this is what you know mm-hmm. matters to Jesus and the, and the heart of Jesus. What I saw during the, the last few years is that churches that went to one... Extreme, uh, particularly if yes. they went far on the right, yes. um, they tended to grow, which is an interesting mm-hmm. uh, observation. Mm-hmm. I wonder about the state of the church and what what that means. Uh, whereas churches have said we really want to try and keep it focused on the person of Jesus, and he did speak into political things, absolutely. And there are implications politically, sure. but I think where we we get off base is. When we try, well, Augustine talked about this in his book, City of God. What does it look like to be a, the, the city of God within the city of man? Not escaping the city of man. Yes. But what, and this is why the Sermon on the Mount is so key. Yeah. How can we be salt and light here and now? Yeah. How do we love here and now? How do we not get tribal in our, you know, right. response yes. to these political things? Yes. So they, so they would, so in Portland, they would leave because maybe a church got too, uh, involved in politics, meaning from the pulpit, they were taking stances on stuff and they would just be like, forget it. I'm- I mean, yeah, I mean, there were 
churches that are flying Trump flags and other churches that are so flying Trump different forms of Trump flag, <laughs> different flags. flags. flags yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and, and I think that happened nationally yes. to, to yes. a certain degree. All that's to say is I think there, there is a growing number of, of people in, in the emerging generation who would look at all that and, and kind of get... They're, right, they're let's just out. stay out of this. Why let's are we getting out. involved in this? Let's talk about Jesus. Exactly. So yeah. I think there's a political yeah. thing. You mentioned sexuality, identity. Yeah. Um, as I was touching on mm-hmm. th- this issue of theodicy, to me that is at the core of 90% of why people are struggling with deconstruction. Mm-hmm. It has to do with some wound or some hurt, something that happened to them, something they've experienced, something that's been unprocessed yeah. that they don't know what to do with. And I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that the health of the soul really is one of the vital ways that we can help insulate ourselves and pre- prepare ourselves for those inevitable seasons of of doubt when we when we question our faith or you know wonder where is god in the midst of this and i and i would argue too that doubt can actually lead us into a more vibrant fuller faith if we actually flesh it out in community right. with others that's good so what do you do with uh like people who would go it's not so much a soul issue for me, mm-hmm. even though it probably is at some level. But a guy like um, uh, Abraham Piper. Yeah. You know him? Yeah. On TikTok, yeah. he's kind of blown. I, I don't even have TikTok, but people show me these things. Uh, I don't know if he's on Instagram too. But, you know, obviously he's yeah. the son of John Piper, a, a conservative, reformed theologian preacher, and he's deconstructed, deconverted. I don't know if he ever was a Christian as a kid. Um, and, you know, has these quick videos, you know, here's the biblical view on hell or gender or whatever. And, it, you know, and he's kind of constantly throwing skepticism and doubt. Have you watched and I interacted? Have. So what's, what is your yeah. response? Because that's, that's less of a soul thing, even though there's mm-hmm. probably some wounds and some stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a mental, it's a, it's, a, it's a rational, it's a logistical uh, it's it's a brain mind oriented deconstruction yeah. where it's like there's actual reasons. Yeah. I think this is why where, I don't where believe terminology yeah. matters because, I mean, okay, the word doubt biblically, um, one of the Greek words for is diakrino, which means uh, to be separate or to be torn. Mm. Um, the Latin word dubitare, which means two or dividedness. Uh, and it's fascinating when you study cultural anthropology, you, whether it's the Guatemalans or the ancient Chinese who had a word picture for doubt, it always conveys, or, or the book of James, conveys a sense of two-ness or dividedness. Yes. In fact, the right. ancient word picture in the Chinese language was was a man with a foot in two separate boats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, this good. is the, the concept of doubt. You're, you're being torn uh, you're, you're struggling. It's Psalm 73. Okay, mm-hmm. God is good, mm-hmm. but as for me, my feet almost slipped. So I, I have this belief about God, but cancer, yes. but I'm wrestling with this Old Testament passage, but I don't know what to do with signs versus faith, but my church hurt me. Yeah. Fill in the blank. So there's this tearing between yes. what you believe is true about God versus an experience you just had, right? Right, right. yes. So that's, that's a biblical idea of doubt. And, and of course, you know, it, it, there's so many different directions it could take you. Mm-hmm. It can take you towards that experience, which is a biblical experience. <laughs> Those with deepest yes, faith yes. W- went there. That can actually lead you into a reborn faith, a, yeah. a faith that is is more mature, right? Uh, more raw. Um, or 
it can lead you to a place of unbelief. And and this this is where I differentiate between sure. the Piper, John Piper, not John Piper, Abraham, Abraham Piper, Piper. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, who would say, I actually, I do not, I am an unbeliever, which yes. is a, yes. a different word in the Bible. Sure, sure. Um, where it's like- I'm antagonistic I, 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 toward exactly. this, proactively. Mark, yes. yeah, Mark chapter five, uh, Jesus left the village- because of their unbelief, right? So it's this willful choosing. Okay, I've resolved. Can we? Can we? You got you got your other point lodged in your head. You mm-hmm. can remember. Let's pull up one of these Abraham Piper videos. Let's cho- just choose a random ten Bible stories. It's wild to make kids read. Okay, let, I don't know if we can hear this. Here are ten Bible stories. You're going to be shocked that evangelicals tell their children, or maybe you won't be. Trigger warning for violence and gore. It is the Bible after all. Here we go. That time David killed 200 Philistines, circumcised their corpses, and delivered the foreskins to Saul so he could marry his daughter. That time Ehud stabbed Eglon, but didn't pull the knife out, and Eglon was so rotund that his roll swallowed up the whole knife. And then he shot himself. Loved that one as a kid. That time Jephthah promised God he'd sacrifice the first animal that came out to greet him when he got home, and his daughter came out first. So he sacrificed her. That time Levite was scared a mob would murder him, so he gave the mob his concubine. They killed her, etc. He was so shocked and appalled that he cut her body up and mailed the dismembered parts to all the tribes of Israel. My wife was reading that story the other day. That time Solomon proved he was the wisest man on earth by threatening to cut a baby in half. That time some kids made fun of Elisha for being bald, so he cursed them. And then God sent two bears out of the woods to maul 42 of them to death. Okay, okay, they're getting weaker. All right, so So. (laughs) Jesus, Philip, kill the fig tree. What a jerk. Don't let your kids read that. Um, so wait, so wait, yeah, just yeah, off yeah. the cuff, man, how do you, how do I, how do you respond to that? I mean, okay. So obviously when you talk about scripture, it, cause these are my, my point here is these are rational yeah. arguments proactively against Christianity versus mm-hmm. heart, uh, circumstantial. I, I was hurt by someone in the church and now yeah. this is someone just reading the Bible and going, you're going to really believe this. Yeah. This and at a surface level, you, you, you watch a 30 second video or whatever. You're like, Oh, I can't believe the Bible says that. You know, as our culture, you know, embraces uh, Game of Thrones or whatever. Yes, of right. Of course, right. of course, the Bible's going to have weird stories in it because people are weird. It is Game of Thrones back then. It uh, and now, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. They're so, cutting babies out of it like it's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it it's honest about the human story. Yeah, it, it's not validating these these things. Right. Oh, yeah, he did this. Wonderful. Yes. Let's right. celebrate that. Let's go do it. Put it on a Christian coffee mug. Right. Like these yes. are things people do because they're weird and they need redemption. Yes. And the Bible shares this story very honestly mm. about the, here are some of the horrible things that humans have done to one another. Yes. Here's how we were so broken and we're in need of a savior. And it shares the story very honestly, very graphically in some cases, as he pointed out, to ultimately bring us to the person of Jesus. I mean, that's who, you know, that's who we follow. That's who we endeavor to emulate. Um, what do you, totally not to put you on the spot here. Okay? This yeah. is just something that I, I, like when he shares something like that, yeah. he's going, uh, so not only are people messed up, but God is the one who sends the bears mm-hmm. <laughs> to maul those kids after calling Elisha bald. What's going on? Is it like when, when we read a story, like, yeah. what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I mean... The bear story. <laughs> <laughs> a classic. That's amazing. A classic. Dude. I have a lot. I mean, okay. There, Is God yeah. ordaining weird things like like what? I mean, that's always been a struggle for people, right? Yeah, of yeah. course. And and it gets worse. I mean, you 
you read through certain Old Testament passages, you're like, wait a minute, God actually commanded his people to, you know, march into battle and... Yeah, or the plagues. I yeah. I mean, the, the killing of the firstborn in yeah. Exodus and, you know, all, all these things he's doing. I mean, that one you can kind of understand a little bit more. There's an evil Pharaoh versus these little kids making fun of mm-hmm. Elisha's baldness, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah, we have to... I mean, there's so many things we have to take into account here, but the, the justice of God mm-hmm. and we're, we're a culture that screams for justice, that demands justice, yeah. that when we see sex traffic in the world or something, you know, that re- keeps us up at night, we want justice. We want things to yeah. be, and we want those who perpetuate injustice to be punished. Yeah. We do that. We demand that. But if God does it, he's somehow unjust. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Right. And then we also That's have to great. take into account the obvious what's the context and right. what did this mean? And what did God actually say versus what did man do to one another? And again, this is, yes. it's yes. the problem of evil. It's the problem of yeah. suffering. Yeah. Why do these things exist? Paul Copan, for those who want to go deep on this, yes. uh, has some really great material, on, yes. particularly on um, Old Testament That's great. violent texts. It's great. Um, and immersing okay, yeah. yourself in the Bible too. It's right. just, it's a different culture. You know, we started out talking about Vanuatu. <laughs> yeah. We would walk into tribes world. and villages where everyone would sit in a circle. And one of the first things you have to do to, in order to be embraced by that culture was everyone would spit into a bowl, a, half a coconut shell, and they pass it around the room. And then the, the guest had to drink it. And if you didn't, that was considered, you know, a huge violation oh, of their cultural norms. Uh, I, I, let's just say I... Yes, pretended. You figured out, you figured yeah, I figured out ways to get around that. But when you're reading right. the Bible, you're going to come across passages that are like, oh, culturally, this is different. This is not 2023, the West. Right. Um, I, I, I always like to talk about the idea of, um, you know, you, you, Miroslav Wolf, you were talking about him this morning at a at staff meeting. Um, you know, the Croatian theologian that talks about nonviolence a lot. And he points out the, the 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 uniqueness of us being able to sit around in our universities in the West and drink our little latte. This is my version of it. Drink our little Starbucks lattes and go, oh, I don't like how God does this. And what I would totally do is this. And and so he has this great, as a guy who watched people die, his own people die in his own you know, nation, he, he says this, he says, my thesis that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. So his thesis is, you know, Romans 12, uh, let God do vengeance against people. And, um, the theologization of violence is okay. Mm. Uh, and, and actually is the only premise for us not to be able to carry out violence. So the only reason you can wake up as a Christian and go, okay, I'm going to turn the other cheek mm-hmm. uh, is if you really know that God will get his justice one day That's against right. those people who came into your village, raped and killed your friends and whatever. And you get up and go, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and chop their heads off. I'm going to, you know, whatever. The only way you can do that is if you believe God is going to one day take out his judgment on them. Mm. That's his. That's his premise, and then he says, um, uh, "Soon you'll discover that it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence corresponds to God's refusal to judge in a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent. That idea will invariably die, and as one watches it die, 
one will do well to reflect about many other pleasant captivities, captivities of the liberal mind. And so it's like you all got to sit around at your first year of college, drink your Starbucks in the quiet of your suburban life and go, uh, you know, I don't think we should do this. And I don't think God should do this. And I don't think God should do that. And you don't even know the real world. Mm. You don't know what it's like to have people raped and killed in a village and you can do nothing to respond to them. So now you're going to judge God because you're like, oh, he's so mean. You don't, that's, if God doesn't carry out that justice, then then I can't worship him. Yeah. You know, and I've talked to people, yeah. you know, in the context of, of hell about the same yeah. premise. It's like, you're okay to always want justice for the rapist, for the murderer, for the this, this, this. But when God wants to carry out justice, measured and perfect, you don't like it. You want to take that out of his hands. So anyway, I agree with you. I, so I think, good. yeah, I think that it does take a certain Western experience to come up with even, to, to come back to our point. Yeah. Do you think it's a legitimate critique on some of the deconversion that happens? That it's exactly this. It's like you have the luxury yeah. of sitting around in pr the prosperity and the education of the Western world Mm -hmm. and go, you know, I'm just going to not, you know, you're going, you're scrolling through Twitter. You've read eight hashtag church, two stories and go, you know what? I'm done with the church. <laughs> that luxury. Mm -hmm. Talk about, is that a legitimate critique or how, I, how, no, do, you, I, how, do, you, I think, how do you speak to that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was just in uh, Europe a few months ago and we had a chance to work with Ukrainian refugees mm. and there's about a hundred of us in the room. They invited us out they're like, Are you hey, a Christian spy? Yeah, you, do you like go around the world and just do crazy? Because like, I've never had a sentence like that. It, oh, you know, last month I was in the Ukraine smuggling out a bunch of people. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. It was so heartbreaking and yet so faith building mm. simultaneously because the, the set of, yes, there's doubts in that room. Sure. You know, they, they say, can you just come and be a pastor and, and teach some sessions and pray with these people and love. And I'm sitting there just completely moved by the depth of their faith. Mm. Yes, there were tears. Some of these conversations we had, they're like, my friend just died. Uh, my parents just were, were killed. Uh, my house just got bombed. Um, one guy just got horrible news about his daughter and, and I'm having these conversations and there's tears and there's doubt. Yeah. But the reason they had that doubt is because they deeply believe that God is a God of justice. And they're wondering, where are you in the midst of this? The set of questions that were being asked were a completely different set of questions than us just sitting in a, a Starbucks, sipping on our oat milk latte and frustrated because we asked for soy. Like, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. so I think in one sense, yes. the experience of doubt is a human experience. It's an age old experience. There are uh, more privileged questions <laughs> that are being asked depending on our context. But um, isn't it ironic? And I'm not saying this is absolutely true, but it is yeah. often true that that kind of doubt um, gets birthed out of prosperity hmm. and and pleasure and thriving. This is almost what, um, uh, who was it? Uh, I can't remember who it was. I know Craig Gay talks about this in one of his books, uh, but it's not him that says it. It's somebody else. He talks about the concept of the gravedigger effect, where uh, Protestant, the Protestant Reformation, the premise of the Protestant Reformation did such a good job at creating a, a context of capitalism that and democracy that it set the table to create secularism. 
Mm-hmm. Because it's oftentimes the people in the prosperity and not the suffering scenario that actually lose their faith mm-hmm. versus the people like you're talking about. There's a wrestling, mm-hmm. there's an existential angst, there's, but oftentimes it doesn't equal, uh, I'm now out. Yeah. It's, it's a, sometimes a deeper, and I'm not trying to romanticize suffering because that's not what we're all going for either. But there is a sense in which, you know, the classic image of the church, you know, the harder you bang the nail, the deeper it goes, you know, the church, the, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's like faith is, is, is deepened in those contexts, but it takes the luxury of prosperity and things are going well to even kind of have a deconstruction Oh man, in a sense. That's so true. I mean, I think of C.S. Lewis where, you know, he wrote Mere Christianity, which is an apologetic masterpiece where he's, you know, unpacking these brilliant things and it's like, it's sound and it's logical and it's winsome and it's thoughtful. And then he lost his wife Yes. and he writes A Grief Observed. Uh, Initially, by the way, under a pseudonym. Yeah, yeah. It was, I think, Shelley, the the poet who recognized the writing. Mm -hmm. He's like, did you write this? But in A Grief Observed, he's pouring out his doubts in real time. He calls God the great iconoclast. Mm. He says, I came to the door of prayer and you just slammed it in my face. And he's wrestling like... Mm. And he won't even name Joy. He, he yeah. isn't it like J or something. Like yeah, the depth the whole, of yeah. his of his pain was yeah. so severe. And yet what's so interesting about his story is okay, there's a there's that's deconstruction, that's doubt, right? Flesh down. Yeah. But there's like this intentional shift towards, okay, I don't fully get why you did this, why you allowed this, but I'm still choosing to trust you. Yeah. In fact, one of my favorite works, lesser known works by Lewis, but I think one of one of his most beautifully written is Till We Have Faces. Mm-hmm. And in that book, there's this line. He says, I now know, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Mm-hmm. Before your face, all questions die away. What other answer would suffice? Mm. In other words, he's like, okay, I've, I've come to a place mm. in my faith where what my soul really wants is not just bullet point Christianese. Yeah. Simplest, yes. Simple answers to my faith. Another stack of apologetic books. What I really right. want is you. Um, Though you slay me, as Job would say, mm-hmm. yet will I trust you. And that's why I see with those who, who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, whether it's refugees in Europe or yes. whatever, a neighbor who's just, you know, had a friend commit suicide or whatever. When they're in that place of heartache and pain, there is this also window of opportunity to say, okay, Lord, I want to experience you and encounter you and mm. know you in the midst of the pain, in the midst right. of the heartache, in the midst of the suffering. Um, and it's it's less about the answers we're trying to get, mm. and it's more about the person that we're we're pursuing. Yeah. And I think that's what Psalm seventy three is. Back to that Psalm, mm. you're good. <laughs> As for me, my my feet almost slipped, but at the by the end of the Psalm, okay, I'm still choosing to right. trust. I remember. Um, on this note, sticking on the theodicy thing. Um, so uh, I think it was Charles Taylor, uh, just made me think about that, when he talked about the idea that like, when you look back at Habakkuk and Job and, you know, the ancient pagan writers, mm. rarely would they draw the line from, and they lived in a much more messed up suffering situation than us. Like, don't take me back 200 years and give me a toothache. You know, or make me go to the dentist and bite a a piece of wood while they rip my, you know, teeth out. 
um, or the general anesthetic. Like, can you imagine living back then? The Braveheart days, you know, crazy. So, but all the philosophers back then didn't, their, their deduction wasn't, you know, suffering, ergo, the gods aren't real. Mm. What their deduction often won was um, so much suffering, I must not understand what the gods are up to. Mm. And so there was like this distinction of humility yeah. of, man, the, the universe must be so complex, mm-hmm. which is why the end of Job is what it is, why Habakkuk is what it is. When the answer comes, it's like, you don't know about snowflakes and dinosaurs and, or whatever it is, lightning <laughs> and giraffes and whatever. All the answers are humble yourself because there's no way you could understand this. Mm-hmm. And that's what the ancient philosophers deduced. But post-enlightenment, what we deduced was, no, no, it's not a lack of knowledge in ourselves. It's that there's no God. Mm. It's it, Right? There's no, <laughs> it's not like, oh, let's be humble before this question of all questions, that maybe the gods have something going on that we can't understand. It's, no, we fully understand there yeah. are no gods. Mm. There is no, there is nothing enchanted about this world, mm. you know? And I, and I think that is like, that's the, the great kind of thing to put before this question. Are you willing to, you know, kill the gods or kill your own ego? When we lived, yeah. in, when we lived in Oxford, I had a chance to sit in a class with Richard Dawkins and, you know, wrote The God Delusion and all that. Um, and he gave this lecture, opened it up for Q&A, and, and someone asked him, they said, is there anything that would change your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. About belief and yeah. faith. And his answer was so insightful um, and unscientific, I would argue. Mm. He, he said, no. He said, even if, you know, the sky opened up and the clouds formed, you know, Yahweh or something, or God showed up in the flesh in this room, he said, I just write that off to some psychological sure. disorder, or I'd want to bring this being into the lab and dissect it. But he's saying there's nothing that that would change my mind. Um which, you know, as a scientist, sure. you never, yes, yes. You never so, want your views to be non-falsifiable. Right, right? You always yeah. want to be open sure. to, to change. Evidence, yeah. And that, yeah, there is a form of doubt and deconstruction, that, and that's unbelief. Sure. That's Mark chapter 5. Yeah. That's what Bible describes as a sin, yeah. this willful choice not sure. to believe. Doubt, though, it's like a spiritual Switzerland. You're mm-hmm. kind of in this middle murky space mm-hmm. that can lead you to greater faith. Yes or it can lead you towards unbelief. One last thing on this, there was an article, uh, I forget what it, where it was, it was a couple of years ago, where they had uh, talked about the idea of uh, apatheism. Basically, I'm apathetic to the question of God. So <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> proactively go against him. I don't, I'm not Abraham right. Piper. I don't like, I'm not putting, I don't wanna put any energy into this. I don't care about this question. Yeah. This question doesn't even blip on my radar of interesting. Um, and so it, can you show me the, I don't know. I, yeah, there, there, there's the article. So this article is from public, Disclo- okay. Public disclosure. Uh, apatheism, um, is more damaging to Christianity than atheism and anti-theism. So, hmm. uh, you know, because of course atheism, you can start to go, you know, Hey, big bang equals God exists. Right. Moral argument equals God exists. Right. Yeah. Anti-theism is like, wait a minute, you're against God? You're going against God? Like, don't you know God's good? Where apatheism, which is basically, I don't care about this question. I am, I, you could literally be sweating and make the greatest arguments in the world. And I'm just, whatever, bro. Like, I'm just going through life. 
what do we do with that? Well, I see. That, Solve that one for us, Dominic. Yeah, that, this is the last question. Well, Solve it That's in Church of Laodicea. Jesus had some solutions for that church. Yeah. Um, but, right. um, I, I'd much rather take an Abraham Piper or someone who's like sure. more combative, like, here's why I don't they believe. Care. They care. Yeah. They care. Yeah. Versus, versus someone who, who doesn't. Right. Switzerland. And Coming often, back to your an existential Switzerland person. Yes. Swiss. <laughs> Swiss. Swiss. Switzer. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, I, I think a, a honest atheist is more interesting than an apathetic Christian, right? And well, often, where, where do you think that comes from? That, well, that, well, it's back to that issue. Of, to it's question. back to back to that issue of suffering. Nothing will make us care more. Yeah. Than loss, heartache, grief, pain. Right. Lament. So you think they just haven't suffered enough? People that, who are that can be well. It got to be so careful with how well, we answer I, that. I, yeah. I understand, but in general. And it, you think that could be one of the reasons? It, suffering, as Lewis said, it can be a megaphone to rouse yeah. a deaf world. The problem of pleasure idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's Ecclesiastes, right? If I have a lot of pleasure in my life, I don't, I don't really let myself get dark enough to ask the question. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Any last word on this? Oh man, I for any who are struggling with doubt. Uh, or wrestling with deconstruction, deep faith awaits on the other side of that. And bring yeah, your doubts good. to the surface. Be honest. Find good community. Find those who can wrestle with you through that season. You're mm -hmm. not alone. Two-thirds of American Christians say they do struggle with doubt. Mm -hmm. uh, it comes and goes in waves. Sure. But that season in your life can be one of the most beautiful, enriching seasons. If you go to the mat with God, like Jacob wrestled yeah, with God, that's good. wrestle with him. Yep. You may come away with a limp. Chances are you will. Uh, but your name will be changed in the process. And and no, nothing scares him. He's seen it yeah. all. He does, you know. Yeah. Again, you read the Psalms. Sometimes David is shouting at God, mm. and uh, I think we could do the same sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when faith fails, mm. uh, your long as a name and pursuing faith podcast soon to become under the Thrive Media, brother. Thank you for thank you. thanks for being part of this, and I'm sure this won't be the last time. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys, for watching and listening to. Off the record, we'll see you here you next time.